Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture, and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape, both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Morgan Murray is a talented writer currently based in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Originally from Caroline, Alberta, Murray has also lived his life in places like St. John's, Newfoundland, Montreal, Quebec, and Prague in the Czech Republic. 
Some of those experiences inform his brilliantly funny and compelling debut novel, Dirty Birds, which is out now via Breakwater Books. And sometime this past May, Morgan and I connected for a talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. His talented partner in life, the cartoonist, Kate Beaton. Leonard Cohen's character in Dirty Birds, and what this novel is really all about. His future plans, and more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, and Massey Hall's concert film series, live at masseyhall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Zaki Ibrahim, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 551st episode of Creative Control, featuring the wonderful writer Morgan Murray, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Morgan. How's it going? I'm good. How are you, Vish? I'm well. I'm well. I'm well enough. Doing okay here in Edmonton. Where in the world are you? I'm in uh, just outside of Mabu, Cape Breton on a farm my wife and I moved on to uh, this past October. Uh, So we're about as isolated as you can possibly get. And how is that for you, given that uh, we are now all kind of isolated, self-isolating, as it were? How has it been to be on your, you know, voluntarily <laughs> isolated, and now we're in a zone where it's kind of, you know, prescribed that you remain isolated. Yeah, our day-to-day hasn't changed a lot. Um, I'm on uh, parental leave right now. We had a baby almost a year ago as of today, and uh, so I've been, uh, my wife is self-employed, so she couldn't take leave, so I took the whole the whole meal deal, and uh, so I've been off wearing sweatpants for a year now, and <laughs> we're we're living in the middle of nowhere, uh, near nothing. So it's been uh, our day to day has been been fairly ordinary for us. But uh, whenever we have to go to the big city of three thousand people up the road and get groceries or things like that, it's real world kind of yeah. rears up, and and you see people in masks and everybody kind of giving each other side eye, trying to avoid everybody, and that kind of uh, brings you back to reality pretty quickly. And now this is in Nova Scotia, which is known in Canada as one of the nicest the places one of the places with the nicest population uh in the in the whole country and you're saying people are a little paranoid there's a little a little bit of an edge uh to the populace fair enough yeah there's a little bit more than we're used to for sure it's definitely very very friendly ordinarily and uh, there's still every once in a while old timer will come up and pat you on the back and you have to run away (laughs) because they don't believe in in uh the six foot rule but uh oh right right and and where we are we're in a very small community where my wife grew up so she knows everybody and and we still you know you wave at your neighbors as you go by and all that stuff but uh we've been keeping our to ourselves and keeping our distance from everyone as we've been told okay so you're 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 managing okay yeah we're hanging in there okay now normally when someone invokes their wife or their spouse on the show I don't often follow up and say, <laughs> it's worthwhile mentioning your 
who your wife or partner is, uh, that is not to disparage anyone on the show previously and their respective relationship. However, I must ask in this case uh, for you to per- perhaps talk a little bit about your wife. Who is your wife? What does she do? You said she was self-employed. Can you expand upon that? Yes. Uh, my wife is Kate Beaton, the uh, cartoonist and author and national treasure. Um, I still can't believe she agreed to marry me, but she did. And here we are. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's in the dining room as we speak, working on a really brilliant graphic novel. And she's got a phone call later with some uh, Hollywood folks about some TV shows and stuff. So uh, she's playing in a whole other league than me. And it's uh, interesting and inspiring to watch her at work for sure. She is highfalutin. I will tell you that my my wife, who is uh, I, I also believe is very special and unique, has uh, purchased numerous copies of Kate's uh, work. Uh, it's called Hark the Vagrant, right? Yes, that's her uh, her comic series. That's right. So there's a there's a book version of it. Is that right? It's a graphic novel yep. called Hark the Vagrant. Yeah. So my wife yep. has purchased many copies of this book uh, over the years and given them away as gifts. Uh, we've kept one. At least one is still somewhere in our stuff, uh, which is, as I'm speaking to you, in a moving storage facility. But anyway, yeah. just so you know, we're big fans of, of your wife here, if I might say. You've got good taste. <laughs> as do you. As do you, if I might say. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. Well, I'm glad. And so she's able to work. You mentioned you're on a leave. Do you have a, a day job, per se? Yes. Uh, by day, I'm... Uh the innovation director for the regional economic development uh, organization, nonprofit here in Cape Breton. So running around trying to help people start businesses and things like that, um, which is a long way from writing a book. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get into this wonderful book of yours. It's called Dirty Birds uh, in a moment, but I do want to kind of track your trajectory a little bit as it might relate to the primary character in your book, whose name is Milton, Ontario, which is the name of a small city in Ontario called Milton, Milton, uh, which I'm very familiar (laughs) with, uh, as a matter of fact. Now, uh, before we get into that, though, you and I, when did we first interact? We've met, how many times have we met? I don't even know, Morgan. Oh, two or three or five or several. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I, we met in New, in uh, St. John's. There's a, when I was, I lived in Newfoundland for almost a decade. I started off in grad school and then I found out if you stick around a university long enough, they'll give you a job. So I worked at Mun for the rest of the time I was there. And there was a healthy uh, Guelph expat community at Mun at the time that I became friends with and you were friends with some of them I think and uh, you ended up out there for different things and we crossed paths a few times I think. I was there primarily and only actually I, I, I used to travel there annually for the Lanya Vanya Arts and Music and Culture Festival that my initially yes. was uh, organized by my friends Matthias Kahn and Ariel Sherritt uh, who are in the Burning Hell and then uh, some Guelph people were involved in that as well. People I knew from Guelph were also involved in that as well. So, yeah, that's how I came to uh, visit Newfoundland, uh, as I say, annually. Uh, and then you and I, what was our interaction? Was it just the ships in the night? We were just uh, saying hello, meeting each other? No, we. Uh, I, at the time, uh, organized a monthly 
art variety show happening event kind of thing called Words and Edgewise. And so each Lanya Vanya, each year, I would do an event in conjunction with the festival. And I think for a few of those, we you were either a guest or a guest host or participated in some fashion in the event I would helped organize. So I think that's primarily how we interacted at the time. Okay. I'm, I was trying to remember exactly what our interactions were like because I remember them, but I also was like how it was a bit of a blur every trip I made there. They had me doing lots of different things, uh, which was great. St. John's is usually a blur. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you were out there for school, but where are you from originally? I grew up on a farm in uh, central Alberta, a beef farm. Okay, so not too far from where I am as I'm speaking to you, I imagine. No, uh, we're about two and a half hours from Edmonton. Right, okay. So you, you're close to Edmonton, and then you, you've you traveled around quite a bit. Where, where are some of the places you've lived? We mentioned Newfoundland. Uh, you mentioned Cape Breton, where you are now. Yep. Uh, where else have you lived? Uh, before I was in Newfoundland, I lived in Montreal for about a year and a half. Uh, before that, I did a... Canadian studies degree at the University of Calgary. In the middle of that, I lived for a year in Prague in the Czech Republic doing a term abroad kind of thing. Uh, That's Okay, so that, that one is a bit odd to me because my, my wife's family is from Prague. Oh, no way. Her father is from Prague, yeah. So that's kind of weird. That's a small world <laughs> situation is all I'm getting at there. Yeah, Prague is a wonderful place. Have you been? No, I haven't yet been. I say yet, knowing full well I'll never get to go now uh, <laughs> because of the world situation. But yes, no, we plan to go at some point. But no, I've never been. It's it's beautiful, right? It's absolutely beautiful. They just because of where it is geographically during all the wars and stuff, it never got flattened like all the other European cities. Right. So it's got a lot more sort of diverse architecture and historical things than a lot of other places and it's also dirt cheap it was a lot cheaper for me to live in Prague like uh, Richie Rich than uh, to live in Calgary like a poor student so it was a wonderful time nice nice well that's so yeah so you're you're something of a traveler uh, it's fair to say you are easily is that fair to say you you easily adapt to new environments and can easily become a resident without too much fuss uh, I would say the opposite, but I get around. <laughs> I okay, kind of so lurk in the backgrounds of a lot of places. I bring this up because uh, your the central character we alluded to him earlier, Milton Ontario, does some traveling uh, in this yes. uh, wonderfully funny book, Dirty Birds. Can you first of all uh, summarize what Dirty Birds is is all about for those who have yet to read it and may be interested in reading it? What what is this book? all about sure it's a story of milton ontario not to be confused with milton ontario Mm -hmm. uh and milton is fresh out of college and uh he grew up in rural saskatchewan and went to college in moose jaw and once he graduates he uh, hops on a bus and goes to montreal to become a famous poet like his hero leonard cohen and things don't quite work out for poor milton and uh to say the very least yeah that is that is safe safe to say now. <laughs> so I I I tried to connect you Morgan to Milton a little bit in terms of just traveling traveling around and uh, you know 
the implicit notion when any, anyone travels around is they are kind of trying to find themselves, establish themselves as a as a person. Uh, do you relate to Milton uh, on a personal level? Absolutely. It's not fully autobiographical, but it uh, borrows a lot or sort of uses my own life as a point of departure. Um, the naive kid from rural uh, prairies and who moves uh, to the big city to become a famous poet or artist or whatever and, and kind of hops around looking for that thing that kind of gives him meaning and purpose is definitely familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where I started off with Milton, but uh, I don't think there's anything worse than having to read somebody's uh, diary about finding themselves. <laughs> so I uh, spiced it up a little bit to hopefully make it more interesting and explore a few more uh, general and broader ideas in the book. Now, there's a, a lot of different kinds of polarity going around, uh, going on rather in in Dirty Birds uh, dynamics, just situations that uh, where you're you're kind of forced to reckon with passion versus practicality, um, reality mm-hmm. versus romanticism. I suppose these kinds of things. Uh, are you? Do you think you're saying something in particular about the romanticization of art um, uh, and, and in terms of how it that might relate to real-world practicalities and, uh, you know, trying to live a sustainable life uh, while still maintaining your your dreams? Is any of that floating around in, in this story? For sure. And uh, you see it mostly with Milton in his relentless pursuit of fame and fortune through poetry, which I don't think is a thing. Um, but he, he sticks to it very doggedly. And just this notion of he, he sort of immerses himself in this uh, bubble in Montreal around the plateau and, and Mile End, which is uh, when I lived there, especially, which is when I set this book, because that was my experience and something I could talk with a little bit of knowledge about. Uh, the there's this strange sort of anglophone bubble in the middle of, in the heart of Montreal um, where there's a lot of McGill and Concordia students and a lot of, you know, just people who were part-time baristas, part-time musicians and things. And it created this strange little bubble that is, is very much detached from the reality of the world that, that the place that they're in Montreal is, you know, part of Quebec, which uh, as everybody knows, is a really sort of complicated place in North America, in Canada, in history, um, with its relationships with indigenous people, mm-hmm. with the French-English divide, with all of that stuff. Part of the reason that that bubble can exist so vibrant as it is, and it's a really fun place to be part of, um, is because of things like separatism movements and, and the rents are lower because of, of the referendum that go on and and sort of investment leaves the province and so the rent goes down and so students and poor artists can move in and take up that space. And so it's this strange world where you've got all of these uh, full-grown teenagers in their 20s and 30s playing at artists. Meanwhile, the real world, it's, you know, they're completely separated from the political uh, geographical, historical circumstances that they're in. They're totally divorced from, you know, working class Montrealers and Quebecers who are trying to navigate all of these 
real world forces that have an effect on their lives. This stuff doesn't really affect these these adolescents, and they just continue to you know live this sort of summer camp life. And it uh, it's a bit of a comment, I think, on on that and sort of the whole. I came of age in in sort of the height of hipsterism, you could say, and and there's this idea of you know what is the the sort of uh, cohesive mythology of of the hipster it's like irony and and this aloof detachment from anything real and it's you know uh heavy into nostalgia and and all of this stuff which is really divorced from those circumstances those immediate real world circumstances so that's definitely a huge part of the book and one of the big things i wanted to look at and sort of comment on um as we went through the lives of these characters. Well, the book is hilarious. It is a comedy. It is something of a satire of that hipsterism you describe, of media culture. Uh, There's a very uh, incredible sequence where Milton is actually unknowingly or obliviously successful, (laughs) Uh, becomes this phenomenon, (laughs) which is interesting. But I want to hop back on the um, kind of socio-cultural historical work that you're kind of alluding to. But you talk about aloofness and detachment, and there is a historicism within that. You make a, a point of telling real history here uh, via footnotes, via allusions to characters. Milton, Ontario is is inadvertently sort of vaguely named after John Milton, I believe, as I recall, uh, John Diefenbaker is invoked. Yep. Like this, so there, there's there's an attachment to real historical incidents and figures. Uh, is this is the employment of this your way of commenting on what you were just describing? Like let's let's actually splash a bit of reality into the face of these wayward characters that are just moving through life, uh, you know, oblivious to all of these things. Is that was that part of your motivation? Absolutely, and it's. And, and it very much comes from my own life too, and trying to figure out who I am, I who I am, and, and you know what I'm at in life. You need to sort of reckon with the history. You need to reckon with uh, the circumstances that bring you to this place. And um, so, a lot of those footnotes are just sort of giving background facts and, and uh, context to some of the historical things that Milton kind of flies by unknowingly or whatever. But also to sort of highlight and underline the fact that there's all of this sort of absurd ignorance of history and erasure of history. And and I made him from Saskatchewan, from a rural community in Saskatchewan, a fictionalized community called Belly Button, (laughs) which is based on a real community where my uh, grandparents uh, grew up called Riverhurst. Mm -hmm. But Saskatchewan for me is, it's good for making flat and square jokes, but it's also this really blatant symbol of the absurdity of colonialism where uh, these bureaucrats in Ottawa or London or wherever they dreamed it up first drew a square in the middle of a map of a very unsquare, unflat continent, erased all the history, erased all the people who were already there, and just said, that's a farm now, we're going to occupy it with poor refugees from Europe to keep the Americans out and maintain our interests in this coast to coast railroad basically, and maybe Mm -hmm. grow some food while we're at it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a widespread ignorance of that fact or 
if it's not ignorance, just sort of ignoring the fact that this history still resonates and still has an impact and still affects people's lives and still has been adequately reckoned with. And there's one footnote in the book where uh, the the town Belly Button is on the shores of Diefenbaker Lake, which is a man-made lake um, from two dams that were built uh, in the 50s and 60s. And there was a sacred uh, meeting place for indigenous people right where the lake was going to be, and it was signified by this great big rock. And at the time, the uh, elders from the indigenous communities asked if that rock could be moved or saved somehow because it, it was very important to their uh, communities, and the government said, we can't move a big rock. So they filled it full of dynamite and blew it up and then yeah. gave the chunks of rock to the indigenous people and said, here's a piece of it, and the rest of it will be under the lake if you are looking for it. So just things like that are absurd that that was a thing that happened, but it, it's, you know, a through line through all of it. And even now um, there's so much absurdity going on in the world that uh, I think that needs to be pointed out and commented on. And, you know, satire is a great way to get at that, but also, you know, sometimes facts are much stranger than fiction and just to utilize both of those to tell the story, but also, you know, put it in context is important. Beyond sort of telling the people picking up this book and reading it about these facts and highlighting them, is there a part of you that's trying to speak to the communities uh, that uh, are in, like the specific communities you're talking about here, you know, speaking to those people uh, and letting them know, uh, perhaps specifically, like you're kind of ignoring this land that you're standing on and working on and and living in living on um you're ignoring this like is there part of you that feels like you're whatever subversively or or maybe it's explicit are you talking to them on some level to to sort of enlighten them absolutely and part of what i was trying to get at with milton and this makes it sound like it's a very serious book but there's a lot of silliness going on i know i just want to highlight it it's a very funny absurd comedy but there is this amazing undercurrent of meaning and substance to it so i don't yes i want to be careful i and but for the record i love this book i love it love the book i felt like fully it, it it i feel like maybe you and i are similar where our we like comedy we like history we like facts we like surrealism uh you know coincidences is it a coincidence? Is it fate? I like all of the stuff that's kind of going on. So I just want to put that out there to the people listening to us and to yeah. you. So I don't, it's not some somber <laughs> historical, you know, story on the, I mean, it is, but it's yeah. not. Does that help? Have I upsold the book that's, a little that's bit? That's perfect. Thank you. Well, you, the check's in the okay. mail. <laughs> but back to that question is part of the reason that I wrote the book that I did was like I said, and like you got at with all my traveling around and flitting about at different things for all of my 20s and a large chunk of my 30s, is try, you know, I, I wanted to sort of uh, give a witness's testimony to a um, young, naive, not always the brightest, um, straight white guy from a fairly privileged middle-class background trying to navigate becoming a human being in the world. 
and there's a long history of that kind of person um, ignoring history, ignoring marginalized communities, ignoring everyone who isn't like them to the detriment of usually everyone. Um, but we continue to live in a world where people like that, you know, if you look around at most of the world leaders are still, you know, spoiled, rich, white brats. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time for in this country, in this continent, at least for almost 500 years, there's been this history of this kind of person has been given power without question and without circ- without consequence and been able to do whatever they want, usually to the detriment of everybody except for themselves and their, you know, immediate friends or, or funders or whatever. And that's gone on for a long time. But my interest really stemmed from this idea of how do you become not a spoiled brat? How do you become not a jerk uh, at this day and age when brats and jerks continue to be given power, but now not so much all the time without question or consequence, because we've seen, you know, we're a hundred years after the women got the right to vote. We're more than a half century past the civil rights movement in the United States. Uh, The gay rights movement is, you know, two or three decades old. Now Uh, we see the me too movement Mm -hmm. picking up and there's real consequences to that. Uh, before the pandemic hit, the biggest story in Canada was uh, indigenous blockades of the railroad as part of a protest over pipelines and land rights and things like that. Yeah. Um, so the indigenous rights movement continues to sort of pick up steam and hopefully it continues to. So all of this stuff is very important and all of this stuff represents sort of disadvantaged or marginalized groups that had never had their voices heard for centuries, uh, finally getting an opportunity to have their voices heard. And so that needs to continue, and that's absolutely vital and important, and there's so many great uh, spokespeople for those movements and so much great art and writing and stories coming out of those movements, and they absolutely need to be heard and amplified and, and shared widely. But then my question becomes, as a person who is not disadvantaged in any way, what's my role in making a world where there's room for those people to live happy, healthy, vibrant lives? to not use my power and privilege to their detriment to accommodate or make room or, or be a champion for those kinds of things. And basically how do you become a straight white man this day and age and not be a total jerk? And so that's part of that includes, you know, having to reckon with all of those groups and, and sort of the consequences of all of the actions of, you know, my father's and grandfather's generations and all those generations before that have, created this history and the real world and so living in a bubble in the heart of a francophone province in the heart of a english continent is very fraught especially when you consider you know the indigenous uh, communities that also have lived there for millennia and all of these different things that are largely ignored and even today they're largely ignored so i definitely included all of that stuff i included the historical facts i included the historical absurdities that sort of highlighted all of this stuff as well to acknowledge to these marginalized groups that you know it's largely an empty gesture to them but the same way at a speaking event or something you would acknowledge the ancestral lands you're on it was kind of an acknowledgement of those groups in the book Um, but also a reminder to if hopefully you know folks from a 
position of privilege will pick up the book as well. And, and, you know, I don't think I'll, you know, enlighten everyone, but hopefully some people can see that, the, you know, these forces are meaningful and important and they, we all have a role to play in um, not just uh, having more voices be heard, but people be accepted and, and made space for. Well, that's very well put. And as, as you're speaking, I can see how all of that sort of informs the core of this character, Milton Ontario, who is kind of brilliantly dumb and whose status, <laughs> his status enables him to succeed on some level where he should fail. So a lot, and other things that, I, that caught my attention as you were speaking is that, yes, in this book, there is some clarifying of the record going on there's some like so fact checking and truth telling uh and i also think there is this the axiom you know beware of false prophets uh comes up mm-hmm. now to me as well and and among the most false prophets that figures heavily in this book is leonard cohen which is an interesting choice uh leonard cohen is a figure he's a muse for milton but he also ends up playing a role uh in this book I don't want to spoil anything, but can you talk a little bit about yeah. why you selected... What was it about Leonard Cohen that made you think he could play a role in in this story, in Milton's life, uh, and also then become this other type of character? That's a good question. So, uh, Milton's... In the book, Milton's hero is Leonard Cohen, and he goes to Montreal um, to become like Leonard Cohen, to meet Leonard Cohen. His his dream is to sort of become what Leonard Cohen uh, has come to represent for a lot of people. Never mind the fact that he doesn't know if Leonard Cohen's even still alive at that point, and it's set in 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. so he, he was. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. And Milton ends up meeting Leonard Cohen, and, and uh, things escalate. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it either. No, absolutely, um, yeah. And so, much like Saskatchewan's a useful symbol for a lot of of the thematic things I wanted to get across in the book and about the character, Milton being from there, Leonard Cohen is, is as much of a symbol as he was a person, uh, I think, at this point. And uh, Of Montreal, you mean? Of a certain type of artist, of a certain type of masculinity. Hmm. Um, connected to Montreal, yes, in some ways, but also sort of that bohemian kind of bubble in the plateau in Montreal. He's kind of the, the figurehead of in a lot of ways, but in his work and in his life, he kind of personified this caricature of, of a poet and he was, and he wasn't a poet because he was more successful and got to live the way he lived because he was a pop star in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But his voice was not great. He couldn't sing super well. And his, you know, musically he wasn't the most gifted, but he, he, he was able to use what he had to great effect and, and very successful. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I admire him as an artist, but on the other hand, and especially as I, you know, listened to more of his stuff and dug into more of his, his lyrics and things like that, he's also a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. um, a lot of his songs are kind of icky. And he made great hay out of the idea that he was a ladies' man. And he would tell you almost every song is about him chasing a woman, getting a woman, not getting a woman. 
and some of them are subtle and some of them are downright offensive. And I think he did apologize before he passed away post uh, to Janis Joplin about uh, the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. So there's all of these kinds of things are surrounding Leonard Cohen. And one of the things that I wanted to do with using Cohen as sort of a caricature for a type of a type of man in Milton's world, um, like all the other men in the story that surround Milton, who are all kinds of um, spirit guides. Or one of his roommates named Naughty is from Newfoundland, yeah, and he's a outrageous character. But he kind of becomes Milton's guide in a lot of ways through a number of uh, events in the book and things like that. But almost without exception, all the men in the book are kind of lousy people, and some of them have redeeming qualities, but their redeeming qualities are usually largely overshadowed by uh, their toxic masculinity or just their general ickiness right. uh, and things like that. And Leonard Cohen, I thought, was a really great example of that kind of thing where the thing that Milton wants to be the most uh, isn't the healthiest or the thing that he should be aspiring to be because you don't want to be, uh, in my mind anyways, when it got down to the end of it you don't really want to be singing <laughs> these weird awful songs about the women in your life i don't think that's fair to the women in your life and it you know once you cut through all the the catchiness of the song you're left with this pretty hollow um superficial message so there was a lot of sort of narratively and thematically there was a lot of material that Leonard Cohen provided and then using him as a character like I did uh, he ends up being not a great guy <laughs> in some ways <laughs> yeah. uh, which is totally f- fictional I'm, I'm sure he was a lovely person in, in real life but uh, just everything sort of lent to that I wanted Milton to meet him and, and I wanted to figure out a way that there could be some attention in that and um I think the char- Leonard Cohen is the caricature like I used him. It's feasible in a way that he could be sort of the baddie that he ended up being uh, in Milton's world. And so it, it all kind of just worked and, and, and made sense for the story I was trying to tell. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's beautifully done and fantastical, and I appreciate that. And uh, I did meet Leonard Cohen one time. and uh, No way. Yeah, it was in Toronto. There was a tribute to Leonard Cohen that occurred at Massey Hall, and among the people participating, John Prine uh, did a, a song. Alan Rickman recited a, a poem, a song, actually. And afterwards, wow. yeah, it was really heavy. It was really great. And afterwards, there was a, a get-together uh, at France across the street from Massey Hall. Like, it's like a diner, famous diner. I think it's called France. I hope I'm getting that right. Yep. Anyway, I got <laughs> to go to that. And so I was wearing my journalism hat on some level. So I initially approached Alan Rickman and, uh, or, or I had his person approach him and say, this gentleman was hoping to get a quote or two from you about this event. And Alan Rickman said, well, you know, tonight's event is about Leonard. Leonard should be the one speaking. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything this is this night's for Leonard. And I said, I appreciate that, Mr. Rickman. I'm a big fan. Thank you very much. We shook hands. That was it. And then a friend of mine, Kate Booth- Boothman, said, let's go talk to Leonard. Because <laughs> Leonard was there watching a band. A band had set up to play in the window. So I got to go meet Leonard briefly. 
and it was a photo it was wow. like a photo opportunity basically like that's you didn't really want to bother him but we went and i i said uh hello mr cohen my name's vish and uh it's an honor to meet you and he said hey man it's really good to see you again now i've never seen him before in my life <laughs> Hey man, it's really good to see you again. And I went, yes, thank you. Actually, I'm friends with Howard Billerman, your friend and mine, Howard Billerman. He said, oh yeah, Howard's great. And that was kind of it. I said thank you, took a photo, walked away. But I was, I was, I must say, puzzled by it was really nice to. It's really nice to see you again, and that stuck with me. It was a fleeting <laughs> instance, but he did not seem like the character that. Uh, all I'm getting at is, I met him. Interaction was not. A lot like he's the way he interacts with Milton and others <laughs> in the book. He seemed nice and kind and maybe forgetful. Uh, maybe he mistook me for someone else. I don't know. Anyway, all this to say, there's something going on in your analysis, uh, in your discussion of um, these kinds of characters and celebrity culture. Because as you're talking about your perception of Cohen, and the unlikely success he had, really. When you talk about uh, some of his skills and some of the things that are you would think would be detrimental to someone becoming a popular singer. Uh, there's yeah. a whole sequence, as I mentioned earlier, where Milton becomes successful. and But he's also, it's like satire. Like the, the He's successful as a joke, almost. Actually, almost exclusively. And I wonder if that... Yeah scene those scenes where he suddenly you know inexplicably becomes this phenomenon is that some kind of comment on the success of someone like leonard cohen is that a comment on the vapid superficiality of celebrity culture generally do you know where i'm coming from with that (laughs) yeah it's funny about leonard cohen could spend days talking about him but he won a lifetime achievement award or something at some point and when I was growing up, we had two channels, CBC and CTV. So I got a lot of Leonard yeah. Cohen. And it was the Junos or some kind of CBC. It was on CBC. Uh, so it was a Canadian award show of some kind. And his entire speech was, only in a country like this can a man with a voice like mine win an award yes. like this. Yes. <laughs> and I, yeah, you nailed it. Um, but yeah, so Milton becomes wildly successful for a little while. And... Uh, it's absurd and he's kind of the butt of a joke that he's not entirely in on. And I, I think it absolutely is this comment on much like, uh, the bubble he, he finds himself in, in Montreal and sort of the, a historical, you know, uh, a cultural, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, completely divorced from reality circumstances. He, this community he's part of is, is in Montreal. Um, it's much the same way with, you know, the sudden burst of, of, of celebrity where he's got no good talents. His poetry is, is pretty much utter nonsense, but he becomes this sensation overnight through luck and through, uh, people making fun of him and things like this. And it, it is very much a comment on, on, Leonard Cohen got extremely lucky to become what he became and so does so many other people in who become celebrities for you know not 
entirely of their own merits. Yeah, I, I like think that. I think it's a comment on luck and fortune too. Milton leaves Saskatchewan to become a poet. Yeah, and that's a one in a trillion shot, like to become a famous, successful poet. And I feel like yeah. that's you're commenting on that too. Like that aspect of celebrity is like it's a bit random. Um, success in these realms is totally even the. And I mean, Milton has it's Leonard Cohen, but he has another muse, uh, a female character that he is becomes extremely smitten with, and she's also like a like a fledgling artist, and also has happenstance success from something that was initially ignored. Like it's interesting what you're saying, like timing, luck. It, it has almost nothing to do with talent. It's just, and, it, I mean, it does, but it can take a while for people to catch on and. It can also be weird the things they catch on to or decide or glom on to to decide are interesting. It's weird. Absolutely. And and part of it is that, you know, Milton's on this quest basically to find meaning and purpose and, and his true, you know, uh, point of, of life and all of this stuff. And he goes through all these iterations of he becomes a celebrity, he finds fame, he finds fortune, he finds power, he finds all of these things that he had on his checklist of things I need to become who I want to become, who, you know, Leonard Cohen, uh, like character. And he gets all of these things. And, and just like his wild fame and, and celebrity, he gets it. It's not what he expected. It doesn't fulfill him in any way. And then like that, it's gone because, you know, I think in the book, Beyonce gets married or something and pushes him off the, <laughs> yeah. the out, com- out of the it's picture. It's a comment. It's a comment on media culture too, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's it's fascinating. It's it's a multi-layered book, and I mean, you mentioned Naughty from Newfoundland. Do you view this book as kind of multicultural? I think of the place that uh, Milton lives in Montreal. This decrepit, horrible flat, or it's not a flat. I guess <laughs> it's an apartment in Montreal. And I think of the roommates. You seem to be on a, at least some level, this cultural collision. Um, thing like this, this milieu in the apartment is fascinating in itself. Was that on purpose on for you, like to try to make it to get Milton from small town Saskatchewan exposed to people from all over the place in terms of Canada, at least? Yeah, part of it was based on who my roommates were in Montreal. I had it was quite the mix, and it was the apartment. I was a Craigslist. There was like one picture. It was cheap. <laughs> I didn't get to look at it before I moved there. Um, I moved in. It was about like Milton's experience with it. It wasn't no way. Very nice. Come on, it's <laughs> incredibly close. dingy and disgusting in the book. You lived in this, basically. Oh um, my god! It was cheap though. It was like 150 bucks a month. Yeah, uh, you know. Now that you mention it, that's the first house I lived in when I lived in Guelph. Was the same, and I have nightmares. Yeah. I get the shivers when I think about the kitchen and the bathroom <laughs> to this day. And and that's the thing is is it was this like halfway house for all these sort of half wits, um, not in real life. I lived with some lovely, lovely people. Sure. Uh, and I totally satirized the extent to how nuts the people were that Milton lived with. Um, so just in case any of them happened to listen, I love them and miss them. But <laughs> it became this very temporary place that people would come and go. Uh, people would live there and you'd never see them because they'd have a partner across town that they'd spend most of their time with because why would you want to live in this grimy house nobody took responsibility for its upkeep it was an absentee slumlord who owned it one of 
dozens of places that they own. So if the heater broke, nobody would come fix it for weeks and weeks and things like that. And, and this bubble in, in Montreal that I spent a lot of time with Milton in, it attracts these people from all over the place. And a lot of them who Milton sort of doesn't live with directly, but they're in his world are sort of these uh, suburbanite Toronto GTA uh, suburb, uh, I call them refugees. <laughs> they yeah. flee the boring suburbs to come to really exciting Montreal. Um, but there's also the poet wannabe from Saskatchewan and the uh, whatever naughty is <laughs> from uh, Newfoundland. He was the strip club DJ in Newfoundland and he's getting out of that life for something else in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have a roommate from France who's a, a puppeteer. And so you've got all this really rich diversity and there's some rich diversity in that bubble, but it's kind of this artificial diversity where it's just a bunch, it's like a reality show. You get these people from all these different walks of life and plunk them together in uh, close quarters and then watch the fur fly kind of thing. And so it, and just the, the book, it kind of travels from Saskatchewan to Montreal. And then he does spend time in Newfoundland. And one of the things I learned was kind of foolish in the writing of this was I, tried to stick to the dialects and, and the languages as much as I could because when you live in Montreal, French is ever-present even if you don't speak it. Most people are bilingual, so they can tell right away. If you don't speak French, they'll speak to you in English, but then there's all this French going on around you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the same with Newfoundland. The language is very much a uh, thing of its own, and it's there's differences from different parts of the island, and diff- every bay has its own accent. Um, so tr- I tried to capture that, too, to give it a little bit of linguistic diversity too which i don't really speak any of those languages well enough to write in them so that became a bit of a chore to well, get no, that into the i'd book. say you did well and now that i when you're as you're speaking and i'm thinking about the roommates i can't help but think that each of them are some reflection again of leonard cohen like it's weird you've got the clumsy ladies man the kind of theatrical art fuck uh Milton, like, there's something going on there. There's like, they're all little personality types that I can kind of, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know, maybe I'm, is that, yeah, did I make that up? I mean, I, mean I, I clearly just made that up. Does that resonate with you? <laughs> that does. That, that's a good insight. And yeah. I hadn't uh, sought to do that, but I can definitely see how that, that works. Well, Naughty is clearly a ladies' man, like, he's an uncouth, terrible person. He tries. On- yeah, well, but he seems, based on the stories anyway, he's very proud That's of that. True. Anyway, he it's yep. very similar to what you were talking about in terms of Leonard Cohen's songs. Like, he's yeah. almost exclusively, yeah, when he's talking, he's talking about some some encounter he had, let's say, or liaison. And, and you know, Milton's just like, okay. And, and Milton sort of aspires to be like that, but also has a... Anyway... We haven't even gotten to the Montreal Mafia stuff, which I'm scared to get into. So we'll just <laughs> we'll stop it there because I don't want to give too much away. This book is very rich. It's very funny. I've learned a lot from it. I loved it. It's called Dirty Birds. And uh, where can people go to learn more about it, Morgan? Uh, they can check out my website. It's morganmurray.ca. And it's got a bunch of links to uh, pre-order the book. It comes out June 29th. Um, hopefully. We've been delayed a few months because of the pandemic throwing a wrench in things but uh yeah morganmurray.ca has got a bunch of links reviews interviews everything you could ever want and uh be happy to uh for people to check it out it's also out on breakwater books so breakwaterbooks.com right yep and your wife uh, kate did the beautiful artwork of the three major uh locations i guess in she the, did uh, she uh 
we were struggling to come up with a cover and then she spent about 15 minutes and made this gorgeous <laughs> gorgeous cover so uh i'm very I lucky appreciate the fa- yeah i appreciate the fact that your wife is legitimately a genius after talking about all these fake geniuses perhaps uh and uh anyway i i love this book it, what's next for you have you had a thought like I, i'm not sure when you finished this book but by the way how many books have you written this is the first one. Um, it's that's a remarkable debut, I have to say. As someone well, who reads you. books, is familiar with books, I know a little bit about books. I've read books. This is is astounding. It's a it's a great achievement. You should be very proud, if I might say. Th- thank you very much. I learned I should have wrote a shorter book in all in one language, but uh, it's, it's from who? Uh, who did? Why did you learn that? I don't. I disagree. No, I uh, I learned it from myself <laughs> just in editing. Oh, it. I see. You have to read the book like 500 times, and so if it's 500 pages, <laughs> you're going to be doing that a lot. Um, yeah, no, well, it's... I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of how it turned out and, and uh, glad with how it looks and, and everything, and there's illustrations and stuff in it too, which um, was fun. So I'm, I've done that. We The next for me is uh, I'm working on a greenhouse uh, in the spare time between uh, <laughs> child, child minding. Um, yeah. But there's, uh, we'll see what the world becomes of this pandemic because I don't. I was telling somebody the other day that it seems kind of frivolous to write fiction during a global pandemic, um, so that might influence what I do next. But I got some okay. ideas about different things, and uh, one thing I've always wanted to write about is Stefan Stephenson. I don't know if you've run across him in Alberta yet. I don't believe so. So he's. Uh, for my money, the greatest Canadian poet who's ever lived. Oh. Uh, he lived in a little tiny village called Markerville, which is uh, 20 minutes west of Innisfail. Okay. Um, sort of between Calgary and Edmonton. And uh, you've never heard of him because he wrote exclusively in Icelandic. And oh. he's a hero in Iceland. He's, uh, But he lived in Alberta from the time he was 20 until he died in his 70s. And he died in the 20s, I think. But a really fascinating character. He's a huge figure in the pacifist movement uh, during World War One, and uh, he was a farmer and a community builder and a homesteader. But he also wrote uh, this crazy poetry. So I'd love to do something about him someday, because that's he's from my neighborhood, uh, and nobody knows about him. But uh, who knows what that might be? Okay, so this is just a a, a rough idea at this point. Very. Okay. Well, again, the book is Dirty Birds. Uh, Morgan Murray, it was a pleasure to speak with you about it, and I congratulate you again, and thank you for this time, and I wish you uh, the best of luck with uh, everything going forward. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much to Morgan Murray for appearing on this, the 551st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all Apple and Google platforms and other things too, like Spotify and YouTube and Stitcher and Radio Public and what have you. If you can't find an episode of the show that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. And a $6 uh, donation or more a month actually gets you exclusive 
content from my audio archives. So again, to learn more about all of this, go to patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to live at masseyhall.com where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Also, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support of this show. Uh, thank you to Jim Guthrie. He lets me use some music uh, of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Morgan Murray. I hope you check out his book, Dirty Birds. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's very funny, as you may have heard us discuss. It's great. It's really wonderful. Uh, thank you, Morgan, for being on this show. And uh, you there listening, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you will uh, consider subscribing to the show and checking out some of the uh, back catalog of episodes. And uh, other than that, I will talk to you very, very soon. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details